What's up, crew? Welcome to Filming in Progress, the show that takes you backstage into the world of local businesses and the people who make them shine. Today, we're chatting with Mitch Jacobson, a health and fitness enthusiast who, as a water sustainability engineer, sought a refreshing, healthy beverage for his busy days and workouts. His creation, Revita, not only bridges the gap between coffee and traditional energy drinks, but is also crafted with a low-carbon footprint in mind, reflecting Mitch's commitment to a balanced and eco-conscious lifestyle. Mitch, thanks so much, man. Really excited to have you on. Man, it's such an honor. I really appreciate you coming here, and it's so cool we get to shoot right in our facility. Exactly. That's a first, so thank you. Yeah, no, right on. Yeah, we're right in the production facility, as you can see in the background, so really excited to chat. Uh, to start, can you give me some backstory? So maybe like how you you know how you got to where you are today? Yeah, well, you know what? It's surreal just sitting here because you know a decade ago I was in a completely different industry, and never in a million years would I think I'd be selling tea in pouches. I'm a petroleum engineer by trade, and the origins of what we're doing here: we make healthy energy drinks. And my best friend, when I was in my early 20s, I was with him one night and this guy loved energy drinks, probably too much and I'll never forget it. I'm out with him one night and he goes pale white. He's probably had five or six energy drinks at this point. He clutches the left side of his chest, nearly passes out. I rush him to the hospital and I'm sitting in this little room waiting for the doctor. They run all sorts of tests and he walks into the room and he says, Mitch, this is crazy. You're not gonna believe this and don't worry, he's gonna be okay. But your friend had a heart attack. 21 years old, had a heart attack that they thought was partially attributed at least to energy drinks. And this was the light bulb moment for me. Why is there no healthy alternatives on the market? So even though I had no consumer goods background, I set out on a mission with my business partners to create a healthy energy drink. And here we are today making our own healthy energy drinks and pouches. Right on, what a crazy story. Um, how did you go from, you know, a petroleum engineer to a, to an entrepreneur? Was that always kind of the plan? Obviously, probably wasn't the plan, but walk me through that process. Yeah, it wasn't a direct plan, and I'm sure you could probably relate to this too. Ever since I was a little kid, I had entrepreneurial aspirations, right? I was the kid that went door to door in the winter here in Calgary trying to shovel people's, you know, walk for money. And so I always felt deep down that I wanted to do my own thing, that I was called to run my own business or do something that you know had an impact on the world. And I thought that was going to be in engineering because I was really passionate about building things. And I worked in oil and gas for about six years, loved the industry, but I didn't love not being in control of my own destiny. So the combination of that, you know, internal battle that I was having and then you know seeing this problem with my friend those two things combined is ultimately what led me to transition from being in the oil and gas industry as an engineer to becoming a full-time entrepreneur. Right on. So how did you come up with the product? Obviously the story kind of hints at you know the, the the problem you were trying to solve but um, did you look at the market what, what, what else was out there and how did you kind of bridge that gap? Yeah absolutely so it started with that light bulb moment like I talked about and then you know ironically a few years later after that I didn't act on it right away here I was working in the corporate world and I became an energy drink addict ironically. I was the guy crushing two before lunchtime. You know, I was bringing them into meetings at work, getting teased by my coworkers, right? Because some of those energy drinks don't necessarily go with a business suit. And I started developing health problems. I'd never had heartburn in my life. All of a sudden I'm getting heartburn. I'm having real bad problems sleeping. I'm getting jittery at the office. And this is where I thought back to my friend and I said, okay, this is a problem. So I'm gonna look everywhere on the market for a healthy alternative. Tried all of the organic energy drinks, but they're still 30 grams of sugar. They're effectively just uh, organic version of what's already out there, which isn't necessarily better for you. So nothing checked all of the boxes, all natural, clean packaging, branding that you could wear with a business suit that didn't exist either. So when I looked at all of that, that's where I got the idea, hey, you know, maybe this is a problem that I can solve. Right on. And so Revita came from this incredible story. How, how, how did you come up with the name? Yeah, that was a good question. And I didn't have any business background, you know, like a lot of entrepreneurs, they went to business school or something. I did not. So before Revita, it was actually called a number of different things. Our original name was Be Strong Energy. We had this ridiculous logo with a lion that kind of looked like a Red Bull knockoff. And I was about a year into it. We were gonna launch as Be Strong. And fortunately I had a business mentor that took a look at it. And he's like, Mitch, did you do a trademark search? And I said, what's a trademark? 
had to Google it, found a trademark lawyer. Sure enough, I was gonna get a cease and desist letter within a week if we launched with Be Strong, it was trademarked already. And so then we went down the rabbit hole of how to develop a real brand, right? And the strongest brands in the world, generally speaking, are often obscure names, right? Apple, Adidas, Nike. They're names that nobody has a previous association with. So we wanted to create that. And what we kept coming back to was the word revitalize. It means to give new life and vitality to. And that's really the essence of our brand. That's what we want to do with our natural energy drinks. So we wanted to shorten that to Revita. Well, R-E-V-I-T-A is like a shampoo company or something. Okay. Couldn't get the trademark for that. So this is a long-winded story. But the way we got to Revita is always like uh, two eyes next to each other. It symbolizes like family values, two people standing next to each other. So combine that with Revita. And that's how we came up with the spelling and the name that we currently have. So it was a long journey to get there. Yeah, no doubt. Awesome. Um, energy tea, you know, I, I've never heard that in any other product. Is that, is that something that you came up with or? Yeah, another great question. And when we set out on this journey to create this healthy energy drink, you know, we didn't say it was gonna be an energy tea. That actually happened by accident. So when I initially started, you know, tried starting the business, first I was completely overwhelmed, right? How do you start a beverage company? It's like, what would even be the first step in that? I didn't know what it was. So I did a Google search. How do you start a beverage company? And then I started messing around in my kitchen with every caffeine source you can imagine. Trying to figure out, you know, are any of these caffeine sources better than the others? And what I kept coming back to was tea. When I drank tea, I felt better for longer. And then I started doing some research on that. Well, hey, tea naturally contains amino acids that there's now studies showing they can combine with the caffeine molecule to prolong its positive effects. So you don't get the jitters or the crash that you might from say like a straight cup of coffee or a regular energy drink. You know, oftentimes they have synthetic or stripped down caffeine. And so that's how we ended up landing on energy tea. It was a complete accident, but it's been, you know, a really great asset for us. Incredible, that, that perfectly describes your, you know, your engineering background too, I feel. Absolutely, that trial and error method, right? <laughs> and it's kind of cool, you know, I thought engineering wouldn't carry over much to the energy tea business, but truthfully, you know, and even looking at the production line here, I'm so fortunate to have that engineering background because it's really helped in so many facets of the business. Awesome. Are there any other um, facets that carry over from engineering or even you said, you know, there was uh, elements of your childhood where you were super entrepreneurial and that sort of thing that really make a big difference now that you practice on like a daily basis? Or? Yeah, totally. I'd say the biggest thing that I got out of my childhood was, I guess two things is one, you know, I, I tried to be a high level, level athlete, didn't necessarily get there, but I think, you know, playing high level basketball has really carried over to the entrepreneurial world because there's so many parallels in athletics and business, right? What it takes to become a great athlete is the same you know, path that it takes to become a great entrepreneur. The relentless work ethic, right? Getting up early, being the first to the office, the last to leave. And then I got to watch my father build a business in his 20s actually, which is a really inspiring story. He just recovered from a crazy bout of lung cancer and he's not a smoker. Couldn't get life insurance, so decided to start his engineering company. So I got to see what that was like as a kid. And I think all those experiences carried over. And then on the engineering side, you know, I did a, you know, engineering is a lot of project management. It's not necessarily just designing things. A lot of times it's a little, you know, my role was more managing people, which of course carries over in so many ways to entrepreneurship. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Uh, one of the one of the biggest things in, in business these days is community, and it you know always has been really yeah. right. And we were talking a little bit off camera about that, but t talk to me about how important community is for you and for your brand, and you know. You know, community is everything, right? And I know you were just at Local Laundry, did an episode with Connor and Dustin there. I think they're the greatest examples of creating community, and we've learned a lot from them. And when you're a young brand that doesn't have a big marketing budget, right? I'm going up against the behemoths of beverage, right? How am I gonna compete with companies that have a billion dollar marketing spend? Well, I can't. I can't compete with them dollar per dollar, but what I can do is I can do things at a grassroots level that they're not doing. You know, for example, when we first launched and we got an online order, I would personally deliver it same day, if it was in the city, of course. I'd shake my customer's hand, you know, I'd build a relationship with that customer. That's something that the big boys can't compete with. And so just like we were talking before the podcast, we started things like a, a group hike that we organize every summer. 
you know, organizing these community events, finding ways to give back to the community. You know, we've sent a lot of free product to hospitals to support the doctors and nurses. So that's a way that you can really give back to the community, but at the same time, it's a great marketing tool in the way that you're getting your name out there just by being good to people. Right on, yeah. Yeah, no, it's so important. And I think, you know, reading about, about your story online before we kind of got here today, um, it's, it's, so, it's so clear that you have these, you know, tr hold true values that are, that are so important and, and maintain important from the beginning all the way till now. How do you ensure that these values that you've set forth and, um, you know, put in place stay true and are, are upheld every day? Yeah, that's the million dollar question. I'm still figuring that out. So I think, you know, one of the great things we did is when Carly Rob and I started the business, we sat down and we created a list of core values, right? And it was the four Fs, so faith, family, fitness, and freedom. And when you look at our packaging, that's actually what the diamond stands for is the four Fs. So we have that foundation and we're still a small team. We're only five employees, but what I found is you have to set the foundation for those core values. You know, everything that we do here, right? Making sure that our employees' actions align with that and also that my actions align with that. But then your core values kind of take form on their own, right? The bigger your team gets, you know, they help guide your core values maybe in a slightly different direction or just help them grow. So it's, uh, I don't have a definitive answer for you. It's something that I'm still learning, but I think any startup should sit down in the beginning and come up with you know a list of three to ten core values, things that you think are really important. And every time you have to make a big decision, make sure that you're aligned with those core values. And I think that's something you know we always put our customer first. We do the right thing, even if it costs us a lot of extra money. You know we've done that continually since the start, and that's something I'm really really proud of our team for doing. Incredible. Yeah, it's so important. Would you say that those values came first from your personal values or your team, you know, as your founding members, your team's values? Or was it kind of the creation of something new that you wanted to breathe life into? Great question. I think it's a combination of all of those things, you know, so certainly those are my personal values and Carly and Rob share those. And also, you know, we were getting a little bit of mentorship in the early days of, you know, how do you create a great business and I think one of the opportunities in business right now is most many of these big corporations it's all about numbers now right it's just dollars and cents right how can I get the best metrics on my Facebook ad right what if you could create a brand that was all about the customer like truly serving the customer right then you don't necessarily have to compete on ad spend Right, because if you go so above and beyond for every customer that they feel obligated to tell a friend about you, you can grow your business that way without even any ad spend. So I think it was a combination of we really do want to do the right thing. We want to help people, but we also acknowledge that that's one of our competitive advantages in business is a lot of the big guys aren't doing this. So, you know, for example, you know, a customer comes to us and they're down, their package got damaged in shipping. We don't even question it. We just ship them a new one on us, right? So they get double the order in a lot of cases. We just lost money on that order. And a lot of the big companies aren't doing that. And we're really proud of that. And we see that as an investment in the relationship of that customer. So those are just some of those examples of how we carry those values forward. I love that. Is there a way, you know, and there probably isn't, or maybe there isn't, but is there a way to quantify those, those efforts, you know, that are behind the scenes that go, you know, that don't have a direct dollar spend to them? Yeah, I think there is, you know, and, and one of the things, I actually do this when we hire a new staff, and I draw a little stick board or stick figure on the, on the whiteboard, and I put a bubble above his head, and I put a $25,000 in that bubble. And where I got this from is I explain this to every employee, every new employee, every new team member is, you know, the average person that goes to Starbucks, what do you think they spend annually at Starbucks? Most people think a few thousand bucks. It's 25 grand, there was a study done. The average Starbucks consumer spends $25,000 at Starbucks. This was a few years ago, it's probably even more now. And so what I explain is, imagine you go into Starbucks that day and they screw your order up, right? Customer gets pissed, says I'm never going to Starbucks again, right? The because the, you know, the barista there didn't want to replace their $8 drink or whatever it was, right? They didn't just lose $8, they lost $25,000 because of that one drink that was screwed up. And so that's how I quantify our lifetime value of a customer. 
we're young, it's hard to quantify, but it's in the thousands of dollars, if not more. I mean, we have customers on our website that have spent almost $10,000 since the inception of our company just on online orders, right? Becomes a part of their daily life. And so if one of their orders gets screwed up or something goes wrong and it's gonna cost me a few hundred dollars to fix it, I don't even question it, we just fix it. Because I know in the long run, that long-term relationship, one, I wanna do the right thing, of course, that's the most important, but two, it really does come back to you. So if you think about it in terms of lifetime value, it's a lot easier you know, to do the right thing, even when it hurts financially in the short term, if that makes sense. Absolutely makes sense, yeah, yeah. I, I love the way you think about that, it's so important. LTV of a customer is worth so much more than that single transaction, right? Absolutely, and you know, especially in your business, right? Like more B2B businesses, it's even more important because your lifetime value of a customer might be in the seven figures, right? So I think that's where a lot of businesses that I observe get it wrong, right, is, you know, I've had tons of customer, you know, experience interactions recently, right, where something got really badly messed up with my order, I'm upset about it, they don't fix it, okay, I'm never ordering from them again, and I might have spent thousands of dollars with them over my lifetime. So we want to make sure that that's never a miss on, on our part, and we've made mistakes, no doubt, but we try our best to get that right. Yeah, yeah. That makes perfect sense. Uh, you've, you've touched on mentorship and, and having mentors a couple times here. Yeah. I'm interested in exploring that. What's the, what's the important, you know, do you actively have a mentor? What's the importance of that and how, and how does that, you know, um, make a difference in, in the way you operate? Yeah, great question. You know, I'm, I have one formal mentor and I'm very fortunate. I won the parental lottery. I get that from my parents. And my dad is a very accomplished entrepreneur now. And so he's been really my main mentor and it's it's I'd say more informal it's not like we sit down once a week and talk directly about the business but I'm, I'm constantly going to him with problems and you know vice versa sometimes he'll tell me things about his business and ask what I think which is an incredible honor and that is so important I think having you know I, I see a lot of people they want to have like 17 different mentors I think it's important to have one or two I think too many different perspectives oftentimes can really cloud things and then I have an informal mentor. So, you know, Andy Frisella, the Real AF podcast, you know, I've picked kind of one, you know, entrepreneurial figure that I really like to listen to. And, you know, Carly, Rob and I, we spent a lot of time listening to his podcast. A lot of these lifetime value things have come from him. So I think the combination of spending time with my dad and then listening to this business podcast, you know, and merging those two perspectives together has just been absolutely invaluable. And I think any entrepreneur should have you know, some form of informal mentor and just pick one or two and then, you know, try to find a mentor that you can meet with, you know, on a monthly kind of basis, even if it's informal, that really does go a long way. Big time, definitely, yeah. Um, I'm curious, you know, your, your, your thought or your thought leadership realistically on kind of the customer first mentality. Um, a lot of, a lot of times that, that does come naturally to people, you know, when you're, when you're hiring and that sort of thing. So I'm curious how you, how you make sure that those values align with with new staff members and and even your internal culture on that sort of thing yeah that's a that's a great question and again something i'm still figuring out and i think a lot of it comes from the interview you can tell pretty quickly right even by the way somebody shakes your hand and you know how they interact with you initially you can tell pretty quickly if someone's going to be you know that warm friendly personality that we want interacting with customers but it's also having these conversations, right? Because even before I learned about lifetime value, that wasn't something that was necessarily intuitive to me, right? I was like, oh, I don't wanna lose the $100 sale today. That's gonna hurt us today, right? So I think that's a combination of, are they a good person, right, when we're hiring somebody? I mean, you wanna hire good people anyways, but are they really kind to the core, right? Like, you know, would they rather save that $5 today or can they see the big term vision, right? So I think finding people that are more long-term thinkers than short-term thinkers is a really important personality trait that we look for, especially in like a customer service type of role. But then I think a lot of that can be instilled with your internal culture, right? And letting them see, you know, we'll show them examples. Okay, we lost $500 on this order, right? This was a huge screw up. We had to reship it twice because something got messed up with, the courier or whatever, but we did the right thing, even though we lost a lot of money today doing it. I think when you can show people those examples and then gauge their reaction, right? They say, oh, that's crazy, I would never do that. Probably not gonna be the right fit, but if they're like, wow, that's really admirable, okay, this is somebody that, you know, I think is really gonna fit in here with our, our values. Awesome. 
And do you have uh, measures of how you would do that practically? Like, would you put, you know, potential um, employees through scenarios where to make the right decision or that sort of thing? Yeah, we've done that before, actually, even in interviews, like when we're hiring for like an order fulfillment type of role, we'll say, okay, we'll make a scenario like that. You know, longtime subscriber, they've ordered, they said two of their pouches got damaged, it was three days late, what do you do here? Right, and it could even be multiple choice sometimes. And you can point out pretty quickly what the right answer is, right? As you go above and beyond, you're gonna write a handwritten note apologizing for what happened. This is how we're gonna fix it. We're gonna replace their order. You know, those are the types of answers that we're looking for. So people understand it's not, we're not worried about saving 20 bucks here or there. We want to invest in that relationship. Awesome. Awesome. As entrepreneurs, we're always, especially from the beginning, I feel like we map everything out from yeah. the beginning. You know, we're, we're, we're deciding where we're going to be in 10 years or five or 15, if you can go that far. That's, that's great for you, you know. Um, but I'm curious um, as to what some of the unexpected outcomes that you maybe didn't expect before you started or when you were starting and, you know, fast forward to where you are now. What did you not expect? Yeah, now we're getting into the good stuff. So, I didn't expect it to be this hard, man. It's probably in a magnitude of a hundred times harder than I thought it was gonna be. So like a lot of naive entrepreneurs, you know, when I first wrote my business plan, I said, we're gonna do, you know, whatever, 100,000 our first year, and then we're gonna do a million in our second year, and we're gonna be five million in year three, and by year four, I'm driving a Lamborghini, right? <laughs> well, I'm four years in, and I'm still not taking a paycheck. You know, we've had to make so many pivots. It's been, yeah, the magnitude of challenges that, the magnitude and scale of the challenges that we have faced was something I had not anticipated, right? And the amount of emotional stress that that's put on myself and my, and my co-founders, I think has been really challenging, right? Like really dark depress depressions, you know, dealing with, you know, several periods of the business where, you know, we didn't know how we were gonna survive till next month. And I don't say that to be grim, this has been such a fulfilling, incredible journey, but I think it is important for that next genera generation of entrepreneurs to understand that it's not always like you see on TikTok, right? You don't just start this online business and you're driving your dream car in six months, right? It takes years and sometimes over a decade to build something extraordinary. And that's something I think that really caught me off guard, right? Is it's easy to plan on paper, but in reality, things come up, right? Like this production line behind you, this was not in the original business plan. We were gonna use a third party to make the product. I had never planned on living in rubber boots and hairnets making this tea, right? I thought someone else was gonna make it for us and we were gonna pay them. Well, we got to a point where the one partner we had, we had outgrown them and there's effectively no one in North America that can produce in these pouches at scale because our packaging is so unique. So we were forced to build our own manufacturing line. And a number of crazy things went wrong when we were building that line. So that's been, you know, and this is my message to new entrepreneurs is understand that it's not always gonna be easy. And perseverance is I think the main attribute that you have to have if you're gonna be successful in this game. Absolutely, the ability to pivot. The ability to pivot. I'm sure you've experienced that lots too, right? And many of your guests. Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody did in the past couple of years. Yeah, right? especially the past few years too. I quit my job in January of 2020. So, you know, right before the pandemic. So it was like, you know, right out of the gate. It was just, you know, one adversity after the next. Right. Yeah, the, the adversity and the, the, the trouble the trouble times, you know, are the, yeah. the things that often aren't portrayed, like you said, on social media, on the TikTok for the young entrepreneurs. Um, I'm curious as to what keeps you going during those times, you know? What is it that, what's that North Star? What Because it's very easy to say, okay, never mind, I give up, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, wow, that's, uh, I've, I've thought about that a lot. And there's a few things. I think the first thing is if you're gonna start a business, you know, truthfully, you've probably had a calling to do that, right? You know, I've worked in the corporate world. You know, I was at a position before I quit my job to do this where I was making decent money. I had those things that most people said were supposed to make me happy and I still felt empty inside. I felt called to do this. So I think when you have that calling, even when it gets really dark, you have to think back to that, right? I've been in a situation where my life was technically better but I still felt empty. 
And so I think a lot about that calling. And, but the, there's a second part of that. And I think human nature is, if you give yourself an escape hatch, oftentimes you'll take it when it gets really bad. I've seen this with a lot of other startup businesses where you know, after the first year they quit or the second year they quit when things get bad. I took my escape hatch away. I quit my job, I signed a personal guarantee, so my house is tied to this. I'm not saying this is smart, but I don't have a plan B. Like, I took my plan B out, I lit it on fire, right? It's gone, this is it. Like, I'm going down with the ship, like I have nowhere else to go. So, you know, as dark as it gets, I remember that this is my purpose, this is my calling. Two, I don't have a plan B. And then three, we actually have a folder on our share drive called when you're having a bad day. And it's messages from customers that we've had. You know, uh, the one that I read continually is, it was a cancer patient who, Revita was the only thing that made him feel better when he was going through his chemo treatments. He, and he wrote us this long letter. And that reminds me that as bad as it gets, there's a bigger purpose behind this. We're helping people. So I have to persevere through this. So I think it's the combination of those things is what I use to power through those really tough days. Amazing. Yeah, that's so important having something that you look back on or, you know, that, that like I said, that, that North Star and those three things are incredible. Yeah, having that North Star is important. I think you should think about that before you start a business, right? Because, you know, I've seen it lots of times already just in the four years I've been doing this where people start something and then, yeah, six months down the road, you know, now they've lost $100,000 and they quit, right? Because things get hard and they weren't prepared for it. So prepare yourself. There's going to be times where it gets a little bit dark and to your point, Aiden, you need that North Star. Right, right. I'm curious as well, when you, when you, you know, you're going through a tough period, um, there's, there's, there's this kind of unspoken idea, I feel like, in the entrepreneur world where everybody's like, oh yeah, everything's great, everything's fine, we're doing great this month, whatever the case may be. Um, are, are you, are you, it seems like you're a very transparent kind of guy, that's the culture you have around here, right? Yeah. So what does that look like uh, outfacing, you know? For sure, you know, that's one of actually one of my pet peeves with entrepreneurship, especially nowadays, right, is you go on Instagram or TikTok, and I get sucked into this, right? You see a 17-year-old kid who's probably got a rented Lamborghini Huracan, right, talking about if you buy my course for $777 a month, you're going to be a millionaire two months from now, right? Or you have the entrepreneur that's actually behind the scenes, things are falling apart, but he's making it look like they're just killing it. And truthfully, I think you're doing everybody a disservice, you know? And so we, we're not perfect at it, but we've done our best at, you know, really showing the ups and the downs, you know, especially on LinkedIn as much as we can on Instagram. And we find that's the content we get the most engagement with, right? Like we did a little story when my dad was helping us because things got out of control when we were building this. And so my dad had to step in and help me kind of manage the contractors. Cause here I am trying to run the business, like build this production line when we're building it. And he had a broken foot at the time. Well, I'd left the pallet out in the middle of the warehouse here. Contractor leaves early. We chase after the contractor. My dad, he has a scooter. His scooter wheel catches this pallet I left out, goes over the handlebars, break both his arms. So here's my dad. He's got three broken limbs and it's my fault, right? We're trying to build this production line. We're over budget. We're like a month away from losing everything, like not being able to make payroll. And the next day I wake up, I had the darkest night of my life, right? Like my dad just went to the hospital. He's, both his arms are broke. I get a text from him in the morning and says, we got work to do. An electric wheelchair is going to show up later today. Guy doesn't even take a day off. Wow. Comes back here in an electric wheelchair, ripping around like Professor X. And so that's the content, you know, when we shared that story on Instagram and, and LinkedIn, we got a tremendous, you know, a treme tremendous feedback because I could just post pictures of this and say, hey, look, we built the first production line in Canada and all is great and it was easy. No, it wasn't. It wasn't even close to easy. This thing was the hardest, you know, we've hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. And I didn't even want to do it. This wasn't part of the business plan, right? And that was just one of many things that went you know, really sideways and what an incredible lesson my father told me, but you know, that's the type of content that people resonate with because life is hard for everybody, right? By just going on the internet and showing your highlight reel, that's, that doesn't help anybody, right? If it just makes a lot of people feel like shit, right? That's how I feel a lot of times seeing a lot of those 
kids selling courses that I know are BS. And so it's something I'm really passionate about and I know we can do a better job, but we really try to be transparent that, hey, we're doing some great things, don't get me wrong, but it's taken a lot of hard work and a lot of perseverance to get there. And that's ironically the content that people associate more with to highlight real stuff. It's all superficial. Right. Yeah, because it's relatable, right? And it's even relatable. whether it be business or life, people can relate with those hardships and yeah. it's what's not been fed to them for so long. So true. And I think that's what's so beautiful about your business is you help companies tell that story, right? It's the story and how you got there. That's what you're selling. It's not the achievement at the end, right? I don't think anybody really cares about that. They care about the story that they can relate to. Yeah, that's exactly it. And you're, at the end of the day, and whether you're you know, selling a service or a product or whatever the case may be, it's really about everything that's behind that product or service. That's exactly right. Yeah, people, they want to be able to relate with your brand, right? It, it has to mean something to them. You know, and there's brands out there that have done an amazing job at that, like Nike, for instance, right? Just do it. That's how they've created this incredible global brand. You feel a certain way wearing that brand. You feel a certain way drinking a Starbucks. And so as a small brand, I think it's important to keep that in mind from the beginning is how, what's the emotional connection that you want people to have with your brand? And I think the best way to get there is don't just show the highlight reel, you know, that's it's superficial. You got to talk about some of the struggles too. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. I, uh, we, we, you know, we saw this on your social too. And now, you know, speaking off camera, your sister works here, your dad was here. I'm curious, um, you know, a lot of people consider their family and the close ones around them, their, their, their rock, if you will, you know? Yeah. And so, so, you know, when you're going through these hard times or, and even the best times, you know, the roller coaster of entrepreneurship, um, your family is now there with you in your case. Yes. You know, how does it, how does, talk to me about that. And you know, that's not typically the case. So how does that kind of affect everything else? You know, everything else in your life beyond business? Yeah, you know, it, for me, it's been the most extraordinary blessing. You know, I was thinking about this this week, right? What's the, the greatest thing that's happened in my life personally since starting the business? And it's the amount of time I've been able to spend with my parents and my sister. Our relationships have grown so much stronger because we're all working towards this common goal, right? Of building this to be the greatest company that it can possibly be. So, and I know people say, you know, you shouldn't start business with a family member. And I see the merit to that, but you know, my argument would be is business is hard, right? And it changes people. You know, I've seen it happen with lots of entrepreneurs, right? there's a honeymoon phase in business, just like relationships, right? I'm sure you could relate to this too. The first year or two even can be really easy, even if the challenges come, just because you're excited and it's something new. But then you get to a point in business where now it's just an, an, a, a job in a way, right? You're doing the same thing. You know, you're going to the same place every day, just like a, a regular job, except the stresses, the pressure and is infinitely higher than, you know, if you were in the corporate world working for somebody else and oftentimes, right? And that changes a lot of people, right? That pressure gets to people. And so that's where I think a lot of business partner relationships deteriorate, right? Because two friends or two family members go into business and one of them or both of them change in, you know, in uh, significant ways, right? But I think the best way to hedge your bets is you want to go into business with someone that you've seen go through hard times and how they handled it, right? I've, I grew up with my sister. We went through hard times together. She's very good at handling adversity, right? She's went through some of the worst things I can imagine, you know, in her young 20s, losing her best friend and she broke her leg really bad. Like she's went through some really hard stuff and she's so resilient, you know, and same with my business partner, Rob, man, he's been through some really hard times and I've seen him power through. And so I think that's why our relationship and don't get me wrong we've had our issues but it works because you know we haven't been changed by the pressure of entrepreneurship it's brought out the best in us instead of broken us so again a long-winded answer to your question but that's just my take on starting business with family is yeah if you have a family member that you've seen maybe act a little bit unfavorable in some stressful times that's something you need to take into consideration but if you just go into business with someone you met three months ago and you don't know how they're gonna handle pressure, that's very risky as well. 
Right. Yeah. No, that makes per perfect sense. And I think it, it goes along with the idea that, you know, the people that you experience the lowest with, you, it, it's that much more valuable to experience the highs with them as well, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. So, yeah. And you're right. And then when we have those highs, when we have the wins, you know, there's nothing like sitting out with my dad and having a scotch and a cigar and celebrate and getting into a new retailer. So, right. yeah, you, they're there in the lows and then you can really celebrate those highs as well. Awesome. Has there ever been a time, and you don't have to get specific if you don't want, but uh, that you, you know, it's uh, you're unable to kind of separate the work and the home, at, or not home, but family aspect, you know, where maybe something bad happened at work and you're no, not talking to that person, maybe your sister, your father, whoever, whoever it may be. Yeah, oh, I mean, that's just everyday struggle, right? I think when you're in business with your family, your personal life and your professional life are effectively permanently intermingled. Right. And I think there's been times where it, I've never went periods. It's, you know, we've never got to the point where we're not talking to each other, but there's certainly been times where, you know, at the family dinner, one of us wants to talk about work and the other one's like, okay, I need a mental break tonight. Right. And I think you need to learn to, you know, understand the cues that your family members are, are giving you. And I think we're getting really good at understanding that. Okay. You know, Mitch is, is having a hard time this week. Right. So, when it's time for dinner at 8.30 tonight or whatever, or family dinner on Sunday, we're not gonna talk about work this time, we're gonna talk about something else. We're just gonna let everybody unwind. So I think absolutely there's been a lot of challenges with that, but we're all working towards a common goal and, and we all have each other's backs. And I think that's what's most important. And what I found is, you know, when I'm going through a really tough time, my, you know, Carly will be there to pick me up and vice versa. She's going through something hard. I'm going to step up and make sure I pick up, you know, a little bit of the slack because she's, she's struggling this week. And so that's been something that's, you know, been an incredible asset, you know, and I'm so grateful to Carly, especially she's been there for me when I've had, you know, my toughest months, she's there, you know, picking up the slack and, and getting me back on my feet. Awesome. Uh, it's often in these like really difficult times that you learn the most valuable lessons that you can kind of apply to yeah. you know the f future times where you might have hardships or or just in general. Um, can you identify one or maybe several of some of those valuable lessons that you've learned that you might not have anticipated? Absolutely. I mean, the f the first one that comes to mind. I already talked about it. Was that text from my dad? Right here, he has three broken limbs, and he's like, "We got work to do." I ordered an electric wheelchair <laughs> to the office. And I think one of the things that really taught me was the power of resilience and just that no quit mentality, right? And we live in a world where generally speaking, it's oftentimes a victim mentality, right? And I'm not criticizing anybody, but I know lots of people who stub their toe and call in sick to work, right? And then you got absolute animals like my dad, Rick, who's got three broken limbs and he's trying to show up to work the next day. And I think that's one of the most, and it can be taken too far, but one of the most invaluable characteristics of great entrepreneurs is they have no quit in them. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how hard they get hit, they keep, get up, they keep coming, getting up and, and coming at you, right? It's like the end of the Rocky movie. Doesn't matter how many times he gets knocked over, he's getting up within that 10 second count. So I think that's one of the, the really important lessons I've had to learn. And then, this, you know, the second one is, you know, I've, there's been a couple times in business where things have gotten so hard and so dark and I've gotten into this very depressive state where I have to take a good audit of my life. Like, why am I feeling like this? Like, yeah, things are going bad at work, but there's been other times where things have been going really bad and I've handled it better. And I'm like, okay, what was I doing when I was feeling better? Well, I was going to the gym every morning. I, my diet was more on point. I was watching what I was eating. I was drinking more water. I was doing my reading every day. I'm not doing those things now. So I think having the self-awareness to be able to look at your situation, be like, yes, things are bad right now. Some, a lot of these things are out of my control, but the things that are, are, are in my control, like my diet and my exercise and my sleep and my health, I'm not managing those. So I, the first step to feeling better is to control the controllables is what I call it. And I think that takes a lot of maturity because it's really easy to get in that state and go, woe is me, right? The universe is against me, but that's not the right mentality. The right mentality is it's an absolute shit show at the office right now. You know, everything's going wrong. My dad's ripping around in a wheelchair. It's my fault, but you know what? I'm going to get up an hour early tomorrow. I'm going to get in the gym. I'm going to focus on my diet. I'm going to do my reading. I'm going to do everything that I can do to get myself back on track. So those are two of the biggest lessons I think I've learned 
from the dark times is you got to take control of what you can control and you got to have that that dog in you for lack of a better term man you, you have to have it or you just won't make it especially in consumer goods yeah definitely yeah that's an it's a it's an interesting topic too because i feel like the people that are in it you know the the owners like yourself your sister your business partner your yeah. dad all these people they get they they're in it 100 percent of the time they know there's no other option other than to just do it so they they'll do everything it takes so a prime, prime example is your is your dad in that scenario I'm curious, you know, we talked a little bit about hiring before and, and looking for the right culture fit and that sort of thing. But how do you manage, you know, when when an, a, an employee is maybe the, the stub their toe and won't show up kind of? Yeah, you know, that's a, a tough one. And I think, you, you know, we have an amazing team right now, but that doesn't happen. You know, and the, you also have to understand that there's people go through situations where they really need help, right? Where it's, you know, it might look like a stub toe situation, but it's not. Like they need help. So you, you need to be able to have the maturity and the empathy to, to really understand what that person is going through and what their circumstances are. But I think finding people in interviews, right? When you're recruiting for a role, you know, if there's some questions you can ask and I think that you can kind of tell what their mentality is, right? I find a lot of people from athletic backgrounds asking someone, you know, when was the last time you went through something really difficult and how did you get through it? That's a really good question that we can ask people. And it, I think that's a skill that can be developed as well that we can help them with. Cause I wasn't always like this. You know, I've been very soft for a significant portion of my life. Entrepreneurship has really helped me develop that. You know, I think some people are inherently built or born with that you know, perseverance, but I think most people have to develop it, right? And you develop it by going through hard times, not allowing yourself to be a victim, you know, get up the next day, no matter how bad it is and get back to work, right? And a lot of times when we grow up too, we're not given that message. So I think by, you know, building a culture here in the company that's built around, you know, getting better, you know, persevering, you know, we give all new employees books to read and say, as you know, if part of your paid time at the office here, read 10 pages a day, you know, that's some of the programs that we've done, you know, to help to develop that skill. Cause it's something that I've had to develop. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Are there any more kind of things that you do like that? I'd like to explore that, the, you know, the, the book reading, that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, the book reading is one cause reading is something that's just had such a profound impact on my life and, you know, Carly and Rob's life as well. So much of what we do here has come from books. So, you know, that's one of the, the tools that we've used. We have a Revita basketball team, you know, uh, Brian, our warehouse manager, he plays on it and manages it. So I think there's a lot that can be learned through athletics. Like I said, there's so many parallels. So that's one of the things we really try to encourage, you know, whether it's with a monthly allowance or something like that for our employees to make sure that they're being active and healthy. I think that's another tool and then leading by example too, right? I mean, you know, having Rick here in a wheelchair there earlier this year, you know, I, I broke my hand, I was in a cast, you know, I, I drove myself from the office to surgery back to the office and didn't miss a beat, right? I'm not saying that was smart, it probably was really stupid, but these are some of the things that, you know, as being the leader, I show that, hey, like, my life's been very challenging and, and in different periods of time though the business, right? But I keep showing up no matter what and making sure that I execute. And I think when you lead by example, you're going to attract people that wanna be in that environment, if that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, awesome. It's, uh it's really easy, and we've talked about this a little bit, to fall into the trap of, you know, I have to be working 16 hours a day, yeah. right? You know, and, and where, well, there's definitely times where that's necessary. It's also just as necessary to make sure that you're showing up to the best of your ability every day, right? Um, and so what is that? I'm curious as to what that recharging looks like for you. I know you've mentioned, you know, uh, athleticism and, and, and that sort of thing, but what does that recharge time look for you? What, what, what do you need to do to make sure that you're showing up to the best of your ability? Great question, and this is, you know, probably my great greatest weakness and all honesty is oftentimes I don't know when to stop right and I push myself to the point where yeah I do break a hand or you know get really sick and or I'm out of commission because I've just pushed too too far and I didn't know when it was time to, to back off and so you know in the first few years of the business I was really bad it was seven days a week I was here every single day you know it was push 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 and I found that that's also not 
a great example to be setting as a leader because you want your employees to have a balanced life, right? You don't want them to be, you know, pushing like that all the time. And I don't want my business partners to have that lifestyle either. So, you know, especially this year, I've taken more of a step back and I said, okay, I think I can be more productive at the office. You know, instead of being here 16 hours a day, I can be more productive in a 10 hour day if I take better care of myself, right? So I, the first big thing I've tried to been doing recently is prioritizing sleep. You know, for the last decade, man, I've been a four to five hour a night type of a guy and that will catch up to you real fast. And I experienced that this year for sure, especially with my mental health. So I think prioritizing sleep is a really, really big one. And then two, athletics for sure. Doing, moving your body in, in some way and competing in some way, I think is so, so important. Whether that's in the gym, you know, I've taken up Muay Thai now, it's become my new passion. You know, I want to train for an amateur fight. So I think having something outside of the office that's keeping you fit and healthy is, is really important. And then, you know, taking some time away from the office. You know, I'm still typically here seven days a week, but I'm coming in Sunday morning and then taking, you know, Sunday night to myself is what I'm trying to do now. So it's, it's, I'm still a work in progress, but I think finding, you know, ways to really look after yourself with, you know, get good sleep, make sure you're looking after your body, you'll accomplish more in less time than if you were just trying to push through and, and burn yourself out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. Uh, you've mentioned uh, the idea just just now um, about mental health, and, and I'm curious as to what, what, you know, how, it's such an important topic, and it's becoming yeah, increasingly, really you know, to the surface, which is so important for so many people, uh, entrepreneurs and everyone alike, you know. How important is maintaining that mental health? It's massive, yeah. It's something that's really near and dear to me, because it's been a big challenge for my life. I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder, basically as a kid. It, you know what, there's been times in my life where that's become so overwhelming, it's hard for me to leave the house, you know, and then that's now carried over into entrepreneurship when we go through really difficult times. I'm, you know, I can end up very, very depressed, like in a very dark place where it's very difficult for me to operate. And so looking after my mental health and finding those right strategies has been something that's so important. And the strategies that work for me is taking control of the controllables, like I said, right? I'm not a big fan of the fluffy, you know, be kind to yourself type of stuff. I think there's a place for that. You know, if I'm going through a difficult time, it's like, okay, I'm gonna get up earlier tomorrow and I'm gonna go to the gym because I know I'm gonna feel better. And, and every part of me doesn't wanna get up early. Every part of me just wants to stay in bed and sit there in my self-loathing. But when I get through that workout, I feel a little bit better and I have a little bit more respect for myself because I did something hard, right? And then I go to the office no matter how bad I feel and I do my best to execute, right? And so, you know, I think it all ties into what we were talking about before, right? Really looking after your physical health, making sure you're getting enough sleep. And then it's okay to talk about it too, right? That's where I'll go talk to my dad or I'll talk to my sister I'll be like, hey, you know, this is how I'm feeling this week, going through some tough times. I'm still going to be here every day, but I might need a little bit of help. So I think, you know, understanding it's okay to talk about it. You know, you have these guys like David Goggins and, you know, a lot of these really successful, you know, Andy Frisella, uber successful, you know, macho guys, for lack of a better term, that you wouldn't think would have these problems. They all have it. All the highest level achievers most of them struggle with some form of mental health challenges, whether it's extreme anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, depression. But the difference between them and, and I think the general public as a whole is they don't, they're okay to talk about it, but they don't use it as an excuse and they don't use it, they take action. You know, it, it's okay to, to have depression, but it's not okay to not do anything about it, if that makes sense. That's my personal take on it. And that doesn't replace of course, professional medical help, but what's always helped me has been, okay, I'm in a really dark hole right now. What's some, even just one thing I can do today that's gonna make me feel a little bit better. And then if you compound that over, you know, days and weeks on end, it's not, it might not get rid of it, but you're at least gonna be heading in the right direction. And so that's the strategy that I've been trying to employ, especially this year where, you know, it's been probably the hardest year for sure in terms of just adversity that we faced. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
it's that roller coaster, right? You never know what the next day is going to bring. Yeah, you never know what the next day is going to bring, right? Like Carly and I were talking a year ago in November. We, you know, were just getting a new machine. It was supposed to like save the company for us. Everything was going to change. You know, little did we know a few months later that machine was going to break down. It's going to cost over fifty thousand dollars in repair. It was going to be one of the biggest professional challenges I've ever had. You know, our biggest retailer that we were so excited getting into just changed their beverage set. So now all of a sudden we're not in that retailer anymore. So all these plans we had for this year, you know, we, we took a total curveball, right? And things change, can change so quickly in business and there was no, you know, reasonable way for us to prepare for that, right? So we were plunged into this really dark time and you have to just keep showing up every day and keep executing with the understanding that it is going to get better and this is part of the journey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it all is, yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier uh, that, you know, you have yet to take a paycheck. You're four years in. And I feel like we talked a little bit about misconception from public yeah. and social media and those sort of things. And, you know, people often associate owner or CEO or founder or any of these titles with, oh, they're making a huge paycheck, you know? Um, and I, I, talk to me about that misconception, you know, people, it's, it's more common that we're the ones that are not going to take the paycheck when, when things get tough. Right? Yeah, you understand this as good as anybody, right? And when you're trying to grow the business, you, you need to hire people, right? And when you don't have a lot of cash flow, well, you got to use that capital to bring people onto the team, right? So here I am four years in, you know, the only one not taking a paycheck. And yeah, that's really difficult because a lot of times, even when I go out in public, you get comments, right? You must be killing it. You must be so happy. It looks like you're doing amazing. When are you buying your dream car or whatever? And I'm like, man, like I'm just trying to pay for groceries this month, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think that is a big misconception in the general public. And I think a lot of that has come with, you know, the popularization of entrepreneurship through like Dragon's Den and Shark Tank. And, you know, people see these 30 second clips of these oftentimes anomaly success stories, right? Of some business that, you know, a guy started in his garage and sold for 20 million bucks three years from now. Well, they don't understand that's the equivalent almost of, in some ways, like winning the lottery. I don't want to equate it to that. The guy still worked hard, but that's not how 99.9% of, of small businesses operate, right? It takes years, if not decades to build something. You know, the failure rate in consumer goods, for instance, is something like 90 plus percent. But you only see the success stories on the media, right? So even myself, before I started this, I was really naive to that. You know, I would have thought, I would have looked at somebody like where I am now and said the same thing. So I don't blame people, but I think it's important to understand that when you're building a business from the ground up, there's, of course, exceptions, but generally speaking, there's very little money in it in the first five years, especially until you get to a certain point of scale, which is really difficult to get to, right? And understanding that, you know, that that entrepreneur down the street, he's, he's not just killing it, right? He's not, you know, some greedy CEO that you see in shows. He's the one creating jobs or she's the one creating jobs know building something that's really going to help people and oftentimes they're doing it you know at the cost of their personal finances their personal time you know it, it is an immense sacrifice and i have so much respect for yourself for the connors of the world for the people that you know are out there doing it every day and, and creating jobs because it is a it's a heavy cost to carry mm -hmm, definitely along those lines what does success look like to you and maybe how has it changed too? Because I feel like it's a moving target, right? Yeah, you know, it looks so much different than when I first started. I think success to me looked like what most like eight, 17, 18 year old boys would probably explain, right? It was the Lamborghini and the mansion and the seven car garage. And don't get me wrong, I still want those things one day. It's still a part of success, but success to me is so much different now, right? You know, I, success to me is seeing an employee get some of those things. An employee, you know, reach a new income level, right? Success to me is seeing my business partners, you know, be able to buy a new vehicle and, and seeing them have personal fulfillment. It's seeing, you know, lives changed as a customer. So I think before success to me was more inward, whereas now it's more 
outward. And I think the irony of that is the more you help people, the more likely you are to get those things yourself. So that's been one of the biggest pieces of my maturation as an entrepreneur, right? And I think, you know, I went from being the feeling like the hotshot engineer, right? Working in the corporate world, I was young and I was managing some people and was making pretty decent money for my age. And then all of that gets stripped away, becoming an entrepreneur, right? Four years without a paycheck, right? Living, you know, month to month. And so none of my identity is wrapped up in finances anymore. It's all wrapped up in how many people I can help, right? Like when I come here for 16 hours a day, I don't even get, a, I don't get paid for that. My only reward is knowing that, you know, it's helped some people. And so I think that's how success for me has really shifted over the course of the last four years. It's interesting, right? Because, you know, over the four years you've, you've realized this, but it's also kind of, it circles back, it's full circle back to what you, why you started as well, which is the customer first mentality, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, isn't that interesting how, yeah, the reason that I started, I guess it was always there, but now it's just, I'm not as superficial as I, as I once was. And I think I had to go through that process of losing the big salary and losing the financial security to really understand what success was going to mean to me, but also to understand how to truly get there, right? You don't, you don't get there through, there through selfish desires, you get there through genuinely wanting to help people. Yeah, absolutely, love it. What's next for Revita? Yeah, we got a lot of big plans, so. Massive expansion. So, you know, the, the last four years has really been, you know, if we're building a house, we just finally laid the foundation. So because of our packaging is so unique, this pouch, I didn't realize this, but we had to go through a long period of R&D to actually be able to just fill these at speed without any problems. And just this year, we've gotten to a place where I feel like comfortably we can do that. So we've built the foundation of the house and now we wanna take this product that can help people and spread that globally. So the first step to that, of course, is we have a lot of work left to do in Canada, but now we're exploring taking the product down to the US. And so over the course of 2024, I would say, it's gonna be still primarily Canadian focused. And then from 2025 to 2030, we're gonna really start focusing on taking our product south of the border and helping as many people as we can with this solution to energy drinks, you know, with people in the US. So that's our big plans up until 2030. Amazing. Well, I mean, I'm sure you'll have no issue doing so. It's, you know, it spreads like wildfire. It's delicious, first of all. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, uh, you know, the value alignment is huge. I think, I think something that we didn't necessarily dive too deep into is the fact that, you know, the values that you carry as a, as a company uh, very much um, translate to the, the type of demographic that I, that I assume would, would purchase and, and consume your product. Thank you. Yeah. And you know, it, it aligns very well. You're right. Cause that's the type of person that we're going after, right? Is, you know, they're generally the people that go hiking on the weekends and they care about the environment and they care about people, they care about animals. And so we're trying to give them a product that really resonates with their values, but those values have to start here. Exactly. I love it. Is there anything that we maybe didn't get to touch on that you'd like to mention or plug before we wrap up here? Nothing comes to mind. Yeah, we touched on so much stuff. I think if you want to continue to follow our journey, you know, we have our Instagram, it's at Revitalize, spelled R-V-I-I-T-A-L-I-Z-E, -E, just like the word Revitalize, but spelled R-V-I-I-T-A. And then LinkedIn is where, you know, we share probably the most personal stories. It's just the, the best platform for that. And I'm just so grateful for this opportunity, you know, the business, the small business community is so lucky to have people like yourself because, you know, it's very hard oftentimes to get a platform like this to share our story. So I just want to say how much I appreciate that you're giving companies like myself, like Local Laundry and a lot of these other great local businesses this platform. Thank you. No, thank you. It's it's great. And ultimately, you know, it's it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is just giving back. You know, there's so many lessons that can be learned from aspiring or young entrepreneurs that are just starting their journey or thinking about it that, you know, we might not have been told when we were kind of in that space and the things we've learned along the way. So thank you for being yeah. vulnerable. Thanks for talking about the things that, you know, a lot of people don't. And I'm grateful to have you on. Absolutely, man. I think, you know, my closing note is to any aspiring entrepreneurs, you know, or even anyone that's going through a dark time in mental health, because I think 
the, the strategy for both is similar, is just start with one thing today. You know, when I look at this production line, what I think about is that first initial Google search. How do I start a beverage company, right? For almost a decade, you know, I had entrepreneurial ideas, but I never executed on them until I made that, I made a commitment to myself, I was gonna do one thing a day. And that Google search, how do I start a beverage company, has led to this. And in all my darkest moments, you know, making the decision to, okay, I'm gonna get up and work out today. Okay, I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna read my Bible today. Whatever it is, making that, you know, just make a decision to do one thing a day, and that compounds, you know, is that effect of compound interest. You see it in your life, you know, and this is a, this right here is an example of it. You know, five years later, we have the first manufacturing facility of its kind in Canada that all started with that Google search. So if there's one thing you can take away from my story, I think that would be, that would be it. Just take that first step. Take that first step. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks so much, Mitch. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Thank you.